Christmas sweater day. Where we celebrate the joy of Christmas this day.
celebrate Christmas. Angels, we have heard on high, sweetly singing o'er the plains, and the mountains in reply, echoing their joyous strains.
because of that we can proudly say and proclaim this house. Oh, there's nothing that's right better than you. There's nothing better than you, Lord. There's nothing. Nothing is better than you. It's your sons and daughters. We know it's true, yes. Oh, I'm not afraid to show you. Hallelujah. We worship you this morning, Lord, and we confess there is nothing better than belonging to you. 
and calling you our Lord and our Savior, rejoicing in your grace, in your presence. And we confess that you are not only the God of the mountaintop, but the God of the valley. Not only the God of the promised land, but the God of the wilderness that we go through to get there, Lord. And we thank you that at Christmas we are reminded that you come to us in weakness and humility and save us even in our lostness and then you lead us in victory. We worship you, we praise you. Jesus, we come to you this morning praying for our broken and divided nation, Lord. Our land that is afflicted in body and spirit. And we pray for healing, God. We pray for the healing that can only come from you. The healing that does come from you. God, in each of our hearts, we give you our worship and pray that you would so capture us with the reality of Christmas that we could look past all that surrounds us and see your glory even in a manger, even in a baby. We worship you, Lord. We praise you. We give you glory. Be exalted in your church. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It is great to be with you this morning, friends. Huge apology to the online group just now. I was standing outside the black line and you couldn't see me. So <laughs> I forgive me for that, but it is great to have you with us. Friends, would you take a moment and turn and say, Merry Christmas. The Savior is born. We take a moment and do that. Would you do that this morning? Christmas isn't just a time to decorate your house, to spend time with loved ones, and to open long-awaited presents. Christmas is a time to remember, to remember that salvation doesn't come from within, it comes from above. To remember that infinitely better than the magic of Christmas is the miracle of Emmanuel. To remember that God was not and is not untouched by the pain and suffering of this world. To remember that Jesus isn't just part of the Christmas story, but Christmas is part of the Jesus story. To remember that there is no grace without a cross and no cross without a manger. To remember that Jesus doesn't just want us to remember what he did, but to join him in what he is doing. 
So this year, let the lights remind you of the light of the world who came into darkness for us. Let the gifts remind you of the greatest gift of all. And this year, make your heart like Bethlehem and receive the King. Amen. Yeah, amen. And what did, yeah, we can do that. Yeah. What does the prophet tell us? And the government will be on his shoulders. Amen. Don't we look forward to that? It is great to be with you again. Great to be with everyone online this morning, together with us in this moment. Merry Christmas. You know, 2020 is almost over. Somebody say hallelujah, right? It's like almost over. I'm looking ahead and thinking that, you know, right after the new year, we'll have our whole worship team back and what an exciting thing that'll be. And we've, we, we've just about got to the point where we can say we survived 2020. Um, you know, this morning is our ugly Christmas sweater Sunday. You say, Pastor Greg, where's your ugly Christmas sweater? Well, about that. So I said to myself several times in the last couple of weeks, I got to go get that sweater out of the drawer and have it ready for Sunday morning. And then like yesterday, I go looking for it and I can't find it. And that is such a lame excuse. But there it is. And uh, we have, though, some folks who have, who have uh, won our first service ugly Christmas sweater contest. And so we need to have a couple of people stand up so that we can bless them. And our, our first place winner is Elise Scovman. Elise, would you stand up? Yep. She wins. She wins. <laughs> so is, is, that, is, that, uh, is that the dog from the Wayback Machine? Is that? No, it's a cat. It's a cat. Oh, my goodness. Sit down, Elise, please. Just sit down. <laughs> I'm kidding. Bless you, sis. And then uh, uh, our runner-up is, uh, is Marty Teak. And, and uh, Pastor Dave, uh, shout out. What, yeah, Marty, right back there. What does Marty's sweater say on it? <laughs> this too shall pass. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Hallelujah. Merry Christmas. Yes, to everybody who, uh, who wore their ugly Christmas sweaters this morning, a lot of great ones. I, I have to tell you, I'm incredibly partial to Pastor Darius's ugly Christmas sweater, so would you just stand up and show that off for a minute, because that's just how we roll with the whole Captain America thing there, so there it is. I, it's actually not an ugly Christmas sweater, so you lose, uh, Darius, but... Uh, yeah. Hey, it's great to be with you, friends, and it's great to remember. I love the line in that video that says, you know, Jesus isn't part of the Christmas story. Christmas is part of the Jesus story. And this year, let's join him in what he's doing. Amen. How beautiful is that? Um, a, a few quick uh, announcements to be aware of. The first one is uh, church. So Chris, our Christmas Eve service, as you know, this year is online. And it will be live and in person at 4 o'clock. So if you join us online, we'll be with you in that moment. But if that time doesn't work for you, it's available all day, all Christmas Day, all week after, whenever works for you and your family. But it's a pretty special uh, Christmas online experience that we put together. Don't miss it. Uh, just go to the church website. You can check in and be a part of that. Uh, but uh, we'll kind of be together for that, if you can, at 4 uh, on Christmas Eve. So if it works for you to log in there, that's a beautiful time. Obviously, this week with the holidays, uh, there won't be Wednesday night uh, activities, uh, youth group impact, all that kind of stuff won't be happening here on Wednesday night, so be aware of that. 
And then one last thing, if you just like to grab a great ugly Christmas sweater picture uh, with you and your family this morning as you leave, uh, maybe with the kids who are back there having their uh, pajama birthday party for Jesus this morning, if you want to pull your family together and get a great shot, maybe by the tree, uh, Brittany will be taking pictures. Raise your hand, Brittany. Brittany, Pastor Darius's bride, uh, she will be taking pictures after all the service. So uh, it's a great opportunity to uh, uh, you know get a picture taken, and then we're going to uh, we can get those to you on social media or we can get those to you otherwise. Yeah, Mike? Uh, what does that say? Oh, I don't know what that means. Just ignore that. Hey, carry on. <laughs> Grab your Bible this morning, friends, if you would, and open it to Luke's Gospel uh, today. Luke's Gospel, chapter 1 and chapter 2. And we're going to kind of come at the Christmas story. You know, it's, it's always been my ambition every year to kind of explore a different part uh, of the Christmas story. There's a lot of parts. And um, we're going to explore a character that we've talked about before, but in a different way than we've talked about before. Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. As you turn in there, let me ask you, what is it that you are kind of hoping for this Christmas? What is it that you're kind of looking forward to? Maybe your family is getting together. Maybe... You're looking at a quiet time, a, a smaller gathering, and you're sort of relishing the quietness of that. Or, or maybe you're looking forward to uh, you know, some particular something that you know is coming your way at Christmas. What is it that you are hoping for? I think a lot of us this year are just hoping for a new and different year. Somebody say amen, right? Somebody sent me this week a Christmas card, and it had a little ornament in it. Now... Uh, I, I just thought this perfectly captured, uh, captured the year. You know, and if you're like us, you have an ornament for every year. Rod and I have been doing that. Now we look at our Christmas tree and it's a family history. And, and uh, that one is definitely this year's Christmas ornament. So that will live uh, for a while. But what is it that you are looking forward to at Christmas? Can I tell you about a really special Christmas that I'll never forget? It was... It was maybe the second or third year that Rhonda and I were married, and we were young and poor, uh, poorer, maybe I'll say, and far from home. Our families were in another state. I was still in the military, and we were alone and on our own and kind of figuring out how to be us still. And um, that Christmas, we just didn't have a lot to give each other. And Rhonda did something that I, I'll never forget. She... Now, I have to give this a little bit of context. This was back in the early 80s, and things like printers were a new and big deal, you know, where you could actually print your own stuff. So she went to our high-tech office machine equipment in the lawyer's office where she worked. This was cutting-edge stuff. It was a dot matrix printer. Just try to imagine that kind of thing. And, and she put together this booklet and it was a, what it was, was a coupon book. And she gave it to me on Christmas morning. And I'll never forget it. It was filled with coupons. There must have been about 25 of them. And each of them she decorated and done kind of in her own style. And one of them, you know, was a coupon to go watch whatever movie I picked. I could play that anytime during the year. She had to go watch that sci-fi or that war movie or whatever it was that I picked. She would go with me to it. Another one was to, a coupon to play board games with me for a whole Saturday. 
which is almost death to most people. But um, she said, I'll do that. You just pull out this coupon this year. One of them was a coupon promising to wear Star Trek costumes for Halloween. You know, that was yeah, she didn't honor that. And another one, though, you know, there was a coupon. No, she did. A coupon to cook whatever I wanted for dinner that night. You get the idea. A coupon, I remember right at the end, to be my best friend for a lifetime. Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't know that I've ever been given anything more special on Christmas than what was made on a dot matrix printer by my wife when we, we had so little. Leading up to that year, the year she gave me that coupon book, th there were other things that I dreamed of getting for Christmas. But when all is said and done, I was more glad for what she gave me than anything I thought I wanted. Because what she gave me brought us together in a way that I don't think anything else could have. Because what she was saying in that gift is, I'm giving you me, I want you, we're in us, and that's what this is about. That gift brought us together. And, and church, I, I tell that story for this reason. That's how God gives. That's how God gives. He gives promises. And when we receive them, they bring us together with him. They draw us into relationship with him. They draw us into his love for us. And they help us discover our love for him. There's a part of the Christmas story that often gets missed. It's about God making promises and people making decisions to believe them or doubt them. And there's someone who usually gets lost in the Christmas story. I want to talk about him uh, this morning. So Luke chapter 1, the Christmas story includes some pretty amazing promises and gifts. God comes to two couples, the Bible tells us, and he promises them kids. How many people know that when you are given the gift of kids, you always get way more than you bargain for? Somebody say amen, right? Well, that, that's kind of part of this story. First, there's Zechariah and Elizabeth. They have a story. They are an older couple who have lived with a lifetime of infertility, of the unique and particular challenges that come with infertility. But the Christmas story begins by telling us this, Luke chapter 1. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. It goes on to tell us a little bit about him and his wife Elizabeth. The Bible says they had no children, and they were both well along in years. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and said, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. All our prayers are always heard. But often there's a, a delay between the hearing and the fulfilling. And in that delay, we wonder. This is the end of that circle for Zechariah and Elizabeth. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. And you are to give him the name John. This is not Joseph and Mary and Jesus. This is Zechariah and Elizabeth and John, who we would come to know as John the Baptist. He will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children 
and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord, for the coming of Messiah. Now, Zechariah, having in his heart a lifetime of infertility, of the struggle to see that promise realized. And now, as the Bible said, he and his wife are both well along in years, feeling that in his heart. Zechariah says, how can I be sure? How can I be sure of this, God? I'm an old man. My wife is well along in years. Childbearing is way behind us. How can I be sure of this? You can hear the note of doubt in his voice. The angel answered and said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now, Zechariah, you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you didn't believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Notice he doesn't say because you didn't believe my words, you're out, deal's over. He says, no, it's still going to come true, but... Now you're going to be silent until the day it does. Okay, there's the first part of the story. There's the first couple given the gift of kids, the promise and the reality. Let's listen to the other family. Second, the scripture says to Joseph and Mary, who also have a story, they're engaged, they're young, they haven't been intimate yet, they're way at the beginning of the journey that Zechariah and Elizabeth are towards the end of, the journey of marriage. The scripture says in the sixth month, verse 26 of chapter 1, God sent the angel Gabriel, same guy, to Nazareth, to a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. And the angel said to Mary, you will be with child, you will give birth to a son, you are to give him the name Jesus, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high and his kingdom will never end. Now, Mary hearing this, coming from the opposite side of the equation that Zechariah and Elizabeth were experiencing. They were way past childbearing years. Mary and Joseph haven't even got to the good part that leads to childbearing. Amen? They haven't got there yet. And so the promise that's given to Zechariah feels impossible. (laughs) So does the one given to Mary. But listen to how Mary responds. There is a subtle an incredibly significant difference in her response to this promise of the impossible. She says, how will this be? She doesn't say, how can this happen? Because we're well along. She says, how will this be? Since I'm a virgin, the angel answered and said, the Holy Spirit will come on you, the power of the Most High, and nothing is impossible with God. The difference between how can And how will is a huge difference. Humanly speaking, Zechariah and Mary have kind of a similar reaction. They're flabbergasted. They're overwhelmed. This is too much. This is amazing. This is hard to imagine. But while Zechariah says, I don't know, that's a a pretty tall order. Mary says, okay, I I hear you. Boy, how's that going to happen? How will this come to be? We wonder why the discipline for Zechariah? We say to ourselves, wow, that seems kind of tough. And the reason is that, church, understand, Mary believed in the promise in spite of herself. 
Zechariah heard the promise, but the first thing that he focused on was himself. And there's a world of difference between those two things. In our lives, God calls us when he promises something to us to receive that promise in the light of who he is, not who we are or aren't. And that's the profound difference between Zechariah and Mary. This is where our, our Catholic brothers in the faith get it wrong. Mary isn't chosen because she's the best of all women. She's chosen because she's willing to receive a gift from God on the basis of who he is, not who she is. You know, God offers us salvation in Christ, grace, forgiveness, eternal life, the love of God. And we're often, just like Zechariah, we say, but God, how can you give that to me? when I struggle with lust and I struggle with my temper and I'm sometimes controlled by my flesh and I lie sometimes and I've done some, some bad things. God, how can you make that come true in me? In other words, we hear the promise and then we make it about us instead of about him. But the promise is about who he is. You see, the giving of gifts is always about the giver. It's not about the one receiving the gift. When Rhonda gave me that coupon book all those years ago, she wasn't saying anything great about me. <laughs> she was revealing something great about her. Listen, church, eternal life, what the Bible calls, the Greek is Zoe, means life with God that is also eternal. It, it's a gift that God gives freely to, to anyone willing to receive it. The Bible says that the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Zoe Life that goes on eternally. Life with God. The gift of God is this incredible life. Why does the Bible repeatedly call it a gift? Because a gift can't be earned or deserved. That's why Romans tells us in chapter 4, when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who doesn't work, but trusts God who justifies the wicked, trusts who God is more than who the man is, his faith is credited as righteousness. When a gift is given, there's only one part that the receiver has to play, and that is to receive it. <laughs> that is to say, I receive that. I receive your gift. And, and a gift, friends, is a personal thing. It's not like the, the loot or swag they throw off the fire engine truck when it goes around Enumclaw, you know, chucking candy canes out the window. It's gone by our house like four times, and every time my wife asks me if she can go out, you know, and get uh, candy canes from the fire department. Now you know what I live with. But at Christmas, God isn't chucking loot. He's giving personal gifts. And when a gift is received personally, we are humbled by it and we are bound to the one who gives it. Gifts create relationship. See, that's the secret of grace. Gifts, when received, create relationship. You know, last week, I, I should know better, but last week I foolishly mentioned to you in first service that Rhonda and me hadn't been able to find a tree stand the day before. You know, we got our tree and we're like, we got to get our tree up and then we couldn't find a stand. And at the end of first service, five people ran home and brought us back tree stands. I mean, I should have known. Thank you, right? So we got our tree up that afternoon, but man, alive. And you know... When everybody rushed to give us one, my first reaction way down in my heart was, oh, you don't have to do that. No, don't do that. 
But I learned a long time ago that when gifts are given, they're given from love and they're meant to be received in a way that creates relationship. I was tempted to make it about me. I'm glad I didn't. So we got like five extra tree stands at our house and um, you know, if you need one, let me know. But that's what Zechariah did. He made it about himself. That's what Mary didn't do. She didn't make it about herself. What do you do when God offers you the gift of his grace? Do you make it about yourself or do you let it be about him? Zechariah, how can I be sure of this? God, I know you mean well, but I got problems. First of all, never make your age or anything else an excuse for whether God can use you. You know, someday when I'm retired and in a nursing home and, and uh, you know, a wonderful older lady from Jamaica is changing my diaper, I can still share the love of God with the person next to me. It's reality. All the way to the end. All the way to the end that's really the beginning. When God comes to offer you the gift of his grace, he is seeking to bind you to himself in love. And your part is to receive that gift because in the receiving, the relationship is created. You can't love him like you want to until you let him give you his gift. You can't. You can aspire to it. But you can't love him like you want to until you let him give you his gift. Don't you hate it when you try to give someone something? Oh, man, they say, I can't take that. You just want to punch them in love, don't you? Shut up. Take this. I'm trying to give this to you. Yeah. You see, God wants us to believe in him more than we believe in ourselves. And he's intense about it. So when Zechariah makes it about himself, the angel disciplines him. Notice, God doesn't withdraw the gift. He says, I'm giving you a gift. It's going to come true. But in the meantime, he disciplines us. All good parents do. That's what love looks like when you're a mom or a dad. And he does this because he wants us to trust and believe in him more than we trust and believe in ourselves. That's why the Bible says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we don't see. This is what the ancients were commended for, and without it, it's impossible to please God. Mary, who shares Zechariah's incredulity on a human level, also simply believes that God will give the gift. And she just looks forward to finding out how, how will this be? Circle the word will. And the angel says at the end, nothing is impossible with God. Let me, let me ask you as we go through the middle part of our time together this morning, which do you believe in more, his grace or your failures? Which do you believe in more? At Christmas, he gives you a gift. Will you receive it? When we receive a gift, it binds us to the giver. There's a man in the Christmas story whose life is a beautiful example of that. And his name is Joseph. Now, church, let's just reflect for a moment as we think about 2020. Joseph had a pretty awful year. He, he went into that first Christmas year engaged with plans to be married and start a family ready to celebrate and then his fiance announced that she was pregnant and he wasn't the dad. How do you think that felt? The Bible says he had to decide what to do. Could have gotten angry. He could have given in to rage. He could have tried to get even. He didn't do either of those things. 
Instead, he decided to make the best of it. The scripture says because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, he didn't want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly, but after he had considered this, an angel came to him in a dream and said, good call, good call, Joseph. God's in this. You know, you and me have choices like that all the time. Choices to get upset. Choices to give in to rage. Even though the Bible says man's anger cannot bring about the righteous life God desires, we often choose to believe it can. Joseph doesn't. These aren't easy choices, but God sees everything we choose. We say, well, God spoke to him. It's different. Yeah, in a dream. When was the last time you made major life choices based on a dream you had the night before? It's not like an audible voice boomed from the heavens. It's not like an angel appeared to him in real life like they did with Zechariah and Mary. This isn't easy stuff. And, and his year didn't get any better after that. Can you imagine what it was like for him in town after that decision? Yeah, I'm going to keep her. Joseph's fiance thinks God made her pregnant. You imagine what the talk was like? You imagine how people looked at him at the job site around town in the synagogue? Imagine the talk in his family. Joseph, what are you doing? Joseph, you're being taken advantage of here. Joseph, you're a fool. That was a tough year for him. And then, you know, when she's in her third trimester, the government demands that everybody make a road trip to their birthplace for a census. Joseph's year is not getting any better. How would you have felt in that moment? I'm sure there were a lot of people who didn't want to obey. Joseph does. And then, you know, he makes this incredible journey in her third trimester back to his uh, place of birth. And when he gets there, there's no housing for his wife who's right about to go into labor. You know, if you're a husband, how do you feel in that moment? Not good. This is your wife. You're supposed to take care of her. You're supposed to provide. You're supposed to make things good for her. If you understand the covenant of marriage, you understand as a husband that your calling is to serve your wife for a lifetime. And Joseph wants to do that. But boy, he, he sure can't on this night. This awful year isn't getting better. And then she does. She goes into labor while they're, they're hanging out in a manger. While they were there, the Bible says the time came for the baby to be born. Everybody thinks, oh, it was glorious. Have you ever been around a birth? It's glorious in a way, <laughs> you know, and then there's other ways. And then, and then, gang, we're thinking, boy, this has been a tough year, but this is not even the end of the story. Right after that, a horrific persecution breaks out aimed at his family. The Bible says an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, hey, it's all good now. The baby's home. Go home. The rest of your life is a Hallmark movie. No, not at all. The angel appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, get up, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. I want you to become a refugee, an alien in a foreign land. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. This year is not getting better if you're Joseph. Can't you imagine what he's thinking? God, can't you do something about it? Why do you got to send us there now in all this? Why don't you just do something else? 
But no, he has to pack up and head out on foot with a newborn, a new wife, to a foreign land. And still, it's not the end of the story. A little later, there's a tragedy, a horrific holocaust that falls on that whole area. The Bible says when Herod realized he had been outwitted, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity, thousands. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are are no more. How do you think Joseph felt when he found that out? That that was happening, and it was aimed at him and his family. This is a tough year. But here's the thing about Joseph, friends. Here's what I want to call our attention to this morning. Through all of it, Joseph gives God the gift of his faith in the promise. He never runs. He never hides. He never quits. He never gives up. He keeps his bride and the son he has adopted First and foremost in his heart, serving, working, believing on their behalf. See, God has given him the gift of a promise, and he's received it into his heart. And now he's giving back to God the gift of his faith. He will not quit. He won't give up. I bring that to our attention, church, because we have an opportunity to do the same thing this year, to give God the gift of our faith in his promise. He calls his church the bride. He calls his church his wife. And we have the opportunity to love and serve her when it's hard and difficult and demanding. We have that opportunity. And he calls those of us who are part of his church, his sons and daughters, our brothers and sisters, his kids. And just like Joseph served that newborn baby, we have the opportunity to give God back the same kind of gift as we love one another, as we allow each other to feel differently about things because we agree on the big things. That's what we have the opportunity to do, to be like Joseph. And the question I want to invite us to ask ourselves as we turn the corner into Christmas is, will we persevere like Joseph through the difficulties? Because we are bound to the one who has given us the great gift of his grace and his son. Just like Joseph, we have the bride of Christ and the sons and daughters of Jesus to serve, to persevere with, to walk alongside no matter what happens. Is it possible that giving God this gift is what you and me really want most of all for Christmas? What gives you the most joy at Christmas? What you get or what you give? You know, when we gather around that tree with family and presents are opened, you're far less excited about the ones that you receive. You're thrilled to watch other people receive the ones you give. Is it possible that what your soul wants more than anything this Christmas is to give God the same kind of gift Joseph gave him? 
of love for the bride of Christ, of love for the sons and daughters of God, of the willingness to persevere, come what may. So often we talk about what God gives us at Christmas and that's where it all starts. But as we grow up, we also want to celebrate what we have to give him at Christmas. And that's our love for one another. God has given us promises that bind us to him when we receive them. If we let ourselves receive them, then we begin to want to give gifts back to him. And before you know it, we're best friends with God. And our greatest joy is what we give back to him. And the Bible says, by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. That's what Mary understood. The Bible says to everyone who believes, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him give us all things? The gift God wants to give us at Christmas is better than the one you think you want. He wants you to discover who he is and who you become when you receive his gift. Yeah, that's the greatest gift of all. If I could finish with a story. A few years ago, you know, Ron and I looked at each other and my car was getting old and tired and it was time to get a new car. I thought, this is my chance, man. I have never, we've never bought a new car. And we were talking about getting a car only a year old this time, so basically a new car. I was so excited. I thought, what do I really want? Yeah, I want a really fast little Mini. I went and bought an orange Mini with black racing stripes on it. You know? <laughs> I said to myself, this is what I want. And the day that I drove it away from the dealership, I felt like that, man. I went down by the river among the warehouses and I raced around at 120 miles an hour and laughed out loud. Drove home and said, I'm having my midlife crisis right here. Here it is. Yeah. People looked and said, it's awfully orange. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. But it's got racing stripes. How cool is that? But you know, as that, that year went by, I started discovering some things I didn't anticipate. One of them was that nobody can fit in it. Nobody can like get in the seats, right? There's like room for the driver and maybe a dog and that's it, you know? <laughs> My parents came up for Thanksgiving that, that year and I went to pick them up at the train station and wanted to show off my car. And it took us like 20 minutes to get them in the car at the train station and take them home. And my mom hasn't been back since. I don't know why. But, but what I realized that year was I really didn't want an orange car with racing stripes. I wanted one that people could get in with me. And so I turned around and I said, you know what? We got to turn this back in. So we did and we got to four-door that people can get in. And I'm happier, much happier, in the same way we are when we recognize what we really want. And what you and me really want is to receive God's gift so we can give him back something. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, we thank you this Christmas for the gracious gifts you've given us. God, we thank you for telling us the story of Joseph who through an awful year gave you back 
the gift of his faithfulness to you, to your bride, to your son. And God, we want to give that kind of gift back to you as well. Lord, help us to find in ourselves the same kind of faithfulness that Joseph manifested so that when the story's over, when the year is over and the sun is grown, we know that we've been a part of that. Help us, Lord, to live through this Christmas like Joseph did. We pray. We celebrate you even in 2020. And we look forward to where this story is going. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me, church? Stand with me, friends. Uh, those of you at home don't have to stand in case you were wondering. Uh, but yeah. So, all of you who belong in second service, go home and enjoy the Seahawks game. And <laughs> now may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit Go with you throughout this week. Go with God. Tell someone you love them. Have a great afternoon. Merry Christmas, friends. See you Christmas Eve at four. Mm -hmm.